0: Hey, this is Tyler Johnson, pastor of Mission Church located in Walnut Creek, California. I want to say thank you for tuning in. I hope this podcast inspires you, encourages you, and helps you live the life God called you to live. Enjoy. Uh, well, Dad, it's Happy Father's Day. What a special day. Come on now. Uh, for your, uh, one of your presents, uh, how about a NBA championship from the Golden State Warriors? <laughs> Who, who's going to the parade? I'm 50 50. I'm 50-50, but I, I might be in now. I'm, I'm excited. I think Joe Little, our youth pastor, is going to go, not because he's a Warriors fan, but because he's never been to one. And uh, he's a Laker fan. <laughs> uh, that's what he told me. I wasn't even trying to make a joke. You know, he just wants to see a parade. Um, we have a lot of those in the Bay Area. You know, Giants, uh, Warriors, um, Niners a while ago. Um, Oakland A's never. Anyways, okay. Okay. Um, <laughs> like 1988 or whatever. Uh, Are you ready for the message? I am um, taking a one-week break from the This Is Our God series, not because I want to take a break, but the series is not something that is like uh, this constricting thing that we have to stay in. I believe it's a a guide of where we're going as a church, but sometimes I feel like the Lord just puts a message on my heart that I need to share for this moment at this time, and uh, so I'm excited about this message. The title of it is Breathe In, Breathe Out. Everybody say, breathe in. Everybody say, breathe out. Breathe Come out. on. I even brought up my inhaler today for an illustration. Yeah. Hey, where's my asthmatics up? Throw your hands up. Here. Yeah. Yeah. We'll all go on a walk, but we'll first take a puff. Okay. okay. Um, it's cool. It's cool. Um, are you ready for the word? Yeah. Uh, I'm going to be 40 years old uh, in one month and put some miles in this car. Come on now. Uh, I picture uh, 40 years, uh, like a car would be like 100,000 miles because you get about 25,000 miles per 10 years. Uh, you know, a, a car that runs really long is going to be 250,000 plus. That would be like 90. That's like, hey, way to go car. You know what I'm saying? Uh, you get a car up to 100,000, you know, 300,000 miles, that's, that's, you know, plus 100. That's like a really impressive car. Um, and I love that I'm turning 40. I can't wait to turn 40 uh, for so many reasons. Just even in ministry. I feel like a senior pastor, the older I get, the better it is, you know? Um, you know, people walk in, they're like, who's this young guy preaching and why is his hair all gray? You know, I don't know. Um, but as I get older, I just think there's just some things you can only learn with age. Um, and, uh, going through valleys, you, you, those, those valleys are, are, um, are priceless and painful at the same time. Yeah. Uh, when I was in Bible college, I would hear stats about, uh, people in ministry and a uh, one in four finishes the stat in ministry. So, so three and four will, will end up not finishing for a number of reasons, um, within the first five years, 80% quit ministry. So people think they want to be a ministry they go. And then within the first five years, 80% quit. And then out of that 20%, only one of those four finish who's encouraged so far. Come on. And you find out why one in four, why they don't finish so many reasons, burnout. Um, family does not enjoy being in ministry. The, the, the kids or the spouse because of just the opinions of people and how, how, how messy people are and nobody's perfect. Um, And so when I heard those stats as a kid, they were just stats to me. You know, I was young, uh, you know, early 20s when I heard those stats. Uh, And now that I'm going to be 40, what's fascinating is those stats are no longer stats. Those stats are actually friends in ministry that I know now. They have become real people that have fallen because of burnout. They just didn't take care of their life well, they have fallen because of uh, immoral decisions. Uh, there are people that, you know, you, you meet, and some of them were my heroes, and I loved them. And then I find out this past year, so many of them fell for so many reasons. Some of them sleeping around with somebody in church. Some of them going to massage parlors and doing things you should never do. I mean, things that I can't even share on a Sunday that pastors were doing that disqualified them from finishing the race. So now I'm 39 turning 40, and I realize the more miles you put on a car uh, and the more miles you get into this journey— you can either be more susceptible to the enemy, or you can become stronger against the enemy. And I, I just, I want to finish well. Yeah. And this isn't just for people, you know, this is my own, you know, life when I talk about ministry. But anybody in the room, you want to finish well. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to be stronger in 10 years than you were 10 years ago? Yeah. Not weaker. Right. Do, do you want to, do you want to ha- have a joy in your soul stronger 10 years from now than you do today? I believe that's possible. Yeah. I believe as you get older, you don't need to get more bitter. I think as you get older, you can get more beautiful, uh, more joyful, and more kind. And I want to read you a verse that's been really in my heart. I got a lot of verses today. I hope that's okay. Um, and the message was birthed out of this thought from uh, Charles Spurgeon. Uh, and I, I read this quote a while ago, but it just, it, it just pierced me. What's more important, reading the Bible or praying? And Charles Spurgeon says this how he would respond. What's more important, breathing in or breathing out? There's something about reading the word and then praying the word. And I want to read you a verse in 1 Timothy 4. Uh, I've asked myself this question. Why is it so many people that I know in ministry, and not even in ministry, they've lost themselves. They have fallen down in a way that is just, you never thought could be imaginable. Some of my friends that I love, that I just grew up with, I'm like, how did this happen in their life? And I think we can find some answers in scripture today, if you'll bear with me. 1 Timothy 4.16 says this, watch your life. Everybody say, watch your life and doctrine closely. I think a lot of time why pastors fall, if I could just be honest, and even just anybody in, in, in Christianity, is they don't watch their life and they don't watch doctrine closely. Persevere in them because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. He's saying if you watch your life and if you watch your doctrine closely, you'll save yourself and you'll save your hearers. This is not a salvation saving. This is a sanctification saving. It's saying that you could lose yourself. That's the opposite. Hey, if you don't watch your life, If you don't watch your doctrine, you might lose yourself along the way. You might lose your conscience. You might lose your character. You might lose your passion. You might lose your spouse. You might lose your friends. You might lose some things. But if you watch it closely, you might save all of them. It's amazing why I think one reason why pastors fall so much is they watch attendance and the budget more than they watch their soul. I I think some people in the house, one reason why you're suffering is because uh, if you're a vain person, you've watched your looks more than you watched your soul. If you're an investor in the house, maybe because you've watched stock more than you've watched your soul. Bitcoin's around 18000 if you're wondering. okay, um, I've been watching that like every day. It's just been a fun journey. I got no money in it. It's just been fun to watch. If you got money, I'm sorry if it's painful. Uh, if it gets down low enough, I might just put a dollar in and see what happens. Um, I'm kidding. Um, some of you, reason why maybe your soul is the way it is, is you're better at watching your fantasy football team than you are your own life and your doctrine. I mean, I'll, I'm, I'm going to be honest. I'm a fantasy football GM. Been for 10 years. Haven't won a championship yet, but I'm working on it. And I'm in a keeper league where there's contracts. I got Cam Akers on, on my contract. I got J.K. Dobbins. Russell Wilson's my quarterback. Even though he's with the Denver Broncos, congratulations, Nick Villanueva. Anyways, I don't talk about it. Um, um, I got the first pick in the rookie draft this year. I'm excited. I was looking at my team the other day, looking at my needs to fill my fantasy GM needs. Isn't that just embarrassing and weird? It's, just, it's fun to me, though. But what I found out is I can ask people who are sports fans, and they can tell me the starting 12 of their, you know, the 12 players on the L.A. Lakers or the Warriors, but then they can't even quote one verse to me. And we wonder sometimes why we're at where we're at. The Bible says this. I want to read you one more. Hebrews uh, 2.1, we must pay the most careful attention. Look at this, the, the most, not just careful. The most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. Do we not drift away? What it's saying is it's interesting. Uh, our soul is this fragile thing at times and we treat it like a water bottle. Like you can just drop it. You, sorry, that was loud. Uh, you can toss it, you can set it somewhere and because it, it's made of plastic, but what if I gave you something like a, a vase, a vase and I said this thing's priceless? Would you carry it differently? Would you set it down differently? Would you keep it away from things that might knock it over differently? Would, would you, we would agree with yes, right? And what, what the author of the Word of God, God is telling you, is that your soul is not something where you just place anywhere and you just don't treat it like anything, but you gotta guard it in a certain way and you place it in certain places because you place it in the wrong place, it could be damaged. If you just treat it cavalier, it could be hurt. We must pay the most careful attention to this thing inside our soul. <laughs> I, uh, I'm hoping today that um, as we journey in this conversation, I, <laughs> I'm gonna be honest. The term soul care is such like a weird term to me. Okay? Uh, one of my, um, somebody I know at least is in ministry, best time seller, even like New York Times bestseller books, written a lot of books, but he wrote a book about your soul. And he wrote it right after his best selling book, and it was the book he was most proud of basically. And he went out you know, and toured and shared about the book. And at the end of the book tour, the books go on sale and nobody bought them. Nobody bought the book. The, the the title how is your soul or taking care of your soul nobody looks at it like oh yes i want to read that today they passed on it they just didn't they didn't want to read it it was the least selling book he's ever written cuz the reality is is that when you and i live life these are the questions that we get asked a lot let's just let's be honest number one question i get asked all the time when i meet people is what do you do and i got an answer i'm in sales <laughs> i'm not done I'm not telling everybody I'm a pastor on the plane. That's just weird. You know what I'm saying? They stop talking to me. Um, and so I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Sometimes I do have to make an executive decision. Do I tell them I'm a ministry? Because sometimes when I tell people I'm a pastor, they literally shut down and don't talk to me anymore. And then, uh, yeah, so I'll sometimes tell them like, uh, oh, yeah, you know, I, uh, I run a little small business because it is a small business, you know. Um, and then eventually, you know, it's, you know, it's also a body. It's the body of Christ. It's a church. I'm a pastor. Um, so I've been asked that question a lot in my life. Do you know how many times I've been asked in my life from somebody, how's your soul? Zero. But then you see Jesus and his main thing he's trying to take care of and save and redeem. It says in 1 Peter 2 that he is the shepherd and the overseer of our souls. So maybe, just maybe, we should talk about it today. Maybe, just maybe, we should look at what scripture says about taking care of our heart, our mind, our bodies. Maybe, just maybe, if we actually take this seriously, ooh, what could happen? Can you guys bow your heads with me? God, we love you. Oh, we love you, Jesus. Today, Lord, I pray that we would just be open to seeing what your word says to us. Oh, God, we love you. Oh, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you that it's just this beautiful thing. It's a mirror that shows us, God, the things that you want to redeem. Lord, the mirror isn't to show us things to shame. It's to show us what could be and should be. Oh, Lord, we love your word. May my words fall to the floor, Lord, and may your words soar. And everybody said? All right, so I'm going to ask you weird questions today that you never get asked. I'm like, like, how's your soul? We're going to talk about that. Uh, I'll never forget, I was a youth pastor in the um, L.A. area, and I drove down, in my first nice car I ever bought, it was a Honda Accord, it had GPS in it, it had leather seats, seat warmers, I, my buddy owned a car dealership, hooked me up with it with a great price, and it was the coolest car ever. But I was a youth pastor, and I didn't have the money, nor the time to fix anything that was ever going wrong with it. So I remember when the brakes started making noise and, and, and when the brakes go out, I mean, you know what it sounds like. You know, Sounds like the opening of an ironing board. Can we invent a new ironing board, by the way? Just maybe, just maybe. My parents were visiting, I was pulling out to iron something. I was thinking about like, I was like, man, like that. And then you put that heavy thing on. Top. It's, just, it's fascinating to me. Uh, just maybe, just maybe we should. If you want to be a millionaire, invite a new ironing board, okay? Anyways. So I, uh, I was a youth pastor. I didn't have money to fix the brakes. I was like, how important are brakes anyways? So I just kept on driving, all right? And kept it pushing, kept it pushing, kept it pushing. And, you know, I was a busy Guys, was like, I know I don't want to drop my car off and have to wait for it, but I don't want to pay the price. And so I remember showing up to church one day, and one of my youth kid's dads was a mechanic. And he heard me pull up in my car. You know, like, I mean, the, the wheels are hitting the rotor. I've, I've worn down the rotor from the brakes now. The brakes have now been worn down, and now the rotors are now worn down, and the car is kind of sh- shaking a little bit. And I get out of the car, and it's a nicer Honda. Just, I'm not taking care of it. And he looked at me, he says, Are you trying to run this thing into the ground? I said, No, what do you mean? He goes, uh, your, your brakes went out a while ago? I was like, Yeah. He's like, Why didn't you take it in? I didn't have the, the time, I mean, I, the money. He's like, it's like 150 bucks to replace brakes, Tyler. He goes, what you've done now, this is a thousand dollar job at least. Something that could have been hundred bucks to fix, now it's gonna be thousands because not only did you wear the brakes down, but you wore the rotor down and then the alignment, this baby, you almost, you're destroying your car because you just wouldn't bring it in for one thing to take care of. Wow. And it made me think of my own life this past season that I felt like I was a little too busy to take care of some things that are so important. The first question I'm gonna ask you, and the Bible talks about it, it's one of the most important parables in all the Bible, it's in uh, Mark 4, the Bible talks about your soil. So my first question today, and these are questions that you've never been asked, maybe you should be asked, is how's your soil? And I know it's a weird question, bear with me, it's gonna make sense in just a second, but the reality is is that if your soil's not good, nothing's gonna be good. Um, I was in a funk three months ago, probably my worst funk I've ever been in, uh, where I just was more depressed than I usually am, so I'm not really de- a depressed person, to be honest. I'll you know, be a little sad once in a while. But, and when, de- when I do get depressed, I don't know how to handle it because I'm a joyful person. I'm like, what are these feelings? I don't like feeling this way. You know? um, and so I was in a funk for a handful of weeks, and um, I just couldn't get out of it. You know, I was reading my Bible. I was praying. And I wasn't fixing it, so that was freaking me out a little bit. I was like, well, I, I read and prayed. I should be fine. Um, and so I was like, maybe I'm being unforgiving. Because the Bible says in Matthew 18, this is not in part of my message, this is a free one for you if you're an unforgiving person. The Bible says in Matthew 18 that if you are unforgiving, uh, that the Lord will actually release you to torment. That could be emotional or physical. AKA that when you are unforgiving, there's even studies showing that when you are an unforgiving person, it makes you more sick often, you'll you'll be more sick often. And it literally, uh, literally will make you more stressed. And so Matthew 18, basically, uh, when I remember hearing that teaching for the first time, I realized a forgiving person is a healthy person, and they are going to be as sick as much, aka the Lord takes unforgiveness very seriously. He didn't die on a cross, so we'd be an unforgiving people. Can I get amen for that? And so I'm, I'm not feeling very good, so I'm on walks every day, and... I'm going on what I call prayer walks, and so I'll be praying. And on that prayer walk, I just start forgiving everybody. like, Lord, maybe I'm unforgiving. Maybe that's why I'm in a funk. So I'm like, I'm forgiving my teacher from fourth grade for not me, you know, let me be his favorite, you know, and like never talk to me. You know, I'm forgiving pastors. You know, um, I'm forgiving people that I've done ministry with, life with, and just anybody who's just popping. Up. I'm like, Lord, I forgive. I forgive. I forgive. I forgive. I'm forgiving myself, even Lord. Lord, I forgive myself. Lord, I forgive myself. You know, I was like, you know, my neighbor drives by. I don't even know if they bother me, but I forgive my neighbor right now, Lord. Like I'm trying everything to get back. To a feeling just healthy and whole. And it didn't work. And I didn't understand why. And then the Lord brought me to Mark 4, and He opened my eyes to something. And the reality of why I was in a funk was my soil was crowded. Uh, my soil was uh, getting preoccupied with things. And the Bible literally talks about I'm going to read you this, this parable. The Bible talks about when, uh, and they call it the parable of the sower, or the parable of the soil, or the parable of the seed, because all three are important truths you need to understand. That, that the sower is God and he's the one that throws out the seed of the kingdom. And the seed of the kingdom is literally the power of the kingdom that will change your life. And Mark Fort talks about this beautiful picture that, that the soil, the good soil, can produce fruit that is literally 40, 60, 100 fold, AKA impossible. What the Lord's trying to show in this picture, he's trying to show that he can have the gospel power come to your life and it can take angry people and make them joyful people. Yeah. It can make worried people peaceful people. It can make divided people unified people. That's how powerful the gospel is. And as as he's teaching this, as one of his very first parables, he makes this statement. He says, if you don't understand this parable, you won't understand anything about the gospel. And guess what his disciples say? Lord, we don't understand the parable. (laughs) That's comforting. The disciples didn't understand it. So you had to teach it twice. Very simple to them. So I'm going to make sure that you understand what God's going to say. Because if you get this parable, I think you'll get all the rest of the parables. Does that sound good? Alright, so Mark 4. So how's your soil? Let's let's read the word. Uh, Once again Jesus began teaching by the lake shore. A very large crowd soon gathered around him. So he got into the boat. Then he sat down in the boat while all the people remained on the shore. He taught them by telling many stories in forms of parables, such as this one. Parables just again a short story with a big old truth. Big truth is your soil is very important. He says this: listen. Everybody say listen. Come on, you're the 9 a.m. You see the exclamation point by listen? You know, whenever I see an exclamation point, I actually like to go see the Greek words and wonder why the author knew to put an exclamation point, not a comma. Listen, comma, listen, period, listen, dot, 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 but listen, exclamation point. You study the Greek word here, listen. There are different levels to plead with somebody to listen to you. And the Greek, the Greek words are so um, uh, imagery driven. You can really understand what they're saying. There's just, there's just, like we have one word for love. The Greek has four words for love. Eros, agape, phileo, and storge, like family love, you know, brotherly love, eros love, which is erotic love, and then un- unconditional love. So the Greeks knew how to describe things. We just have love, you know? And so we just have listen. But in the Greeks, they had different language for listen. This type of listen, when Jesus started this parable, and you, you gotta understand, the, the, the king of kings, lord of lords, is about to teach something, he says this, listen, please listen. This is what he's saying. Can you imagine Jesus from the shore in a boat saying, listen. Some of you are talking, no, no, stop talking. Some of you are texting, stop. Some of you are thinking about other things, stop. I need you to listen. I'm about to teach something that will change your life forever. This is what he's, This is how he started this parable. So can you imagine the crowd hearing Jesus plea with them? Will you please listen to this one? Because maybe, just maybe, if you listen to this parable, your life will be changed forever. That's what he's saying in this parable. So as your pastor, listen. Are you ready to listen? Yes. Oh, I pray your phone's down right now. I, could, I believe this could change your life. Listen, a farmer went out to plant some seed. As he scattered it across his field, some of the seed fell on a footpath, and the birds came and ate it. Other seed fell in the shallow soil with underlying rock. The seed uh, sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow, but the plant soon uh, wilted under the hot sun, and since it didn't have deep roots, it died. Other seeds fell among the thorns and grew up and choked out the tender plants. They produced no grain. Still other seed fell on fertile soil, and they sprouted, grew, grew and produced a crop that was 30, 60, even 100 times as much as they had been planted. Then he said, anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. You read this parable, you'll see that the word hear is listed 13 times. So it's not only important to read the word, it's important to receive the word. And again, I got to give you one more Greek. Can I give you one more Greek word today? I hope that's okay. The word here, here in the Greek is not just like, oh, listen up, here. It literally is hyper here. And the picture of hyper here would be this. Have you ever been at a table with like 15 people and you wanted to listen to one person's conversation more than the others? Has somebody been talking to you and you, you have, we all have this gift. They're talking to you and you, I don't know how you do it, but you, you turn them off and you're listening to something else at the same time. Don't tell us we're not superheroes. All right. I was, I was, uh, my wife and I would like to go to sideboard sometimes on Saturdays, you know, after we get done with, you know, a little bit of work. Let's just go celebrate before church. Let's have a little, little brunch together. And, and so, um, I am sitting in, um, uh, sideboard and it's the one Lafayette and there's this group sitting all the way in, uh, the picnic area. And this was before I even like uh, found this Greek word. Uh, um, I found the Greek word later on in the day, so it kind of made me laugh and chuckle. But they were like this Christian group. They were doing worship in the park, and um, so they kind of caught my eye. And so then they sat down. And they started talking, and I literally like leaned in and I was eavesdropping from like thirty feet away. What they were saying I was like, "What church is this? What are they saying over there?" I was, to be honest, I was hyper hearing. I was shutting everything else off and all of sideboard. People are talking, it's chatting, cars are driving by, honk, lights are changing, cars are turning, peeling out. I'm not doing, I'm, okay, they're from what? Oh, they're singing, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. I literally dialed my ear and, and listened. And what Jesus is saying is if you're gonna receive the word of God, you gotta turn everything else off and say, what are you saying to me right now? I'm, I, I'm, I'm shutting off my worries. I'm shutting off my doubts. I'm shutting off whatever was going on on the TV screen. I'm turning my phone. I'm putting my phone. Lord, what are you? He wants you. Those who can hyper hear will receive the word of God. Okay. There's something about that kind of that picture. So so I, if, I, if I had time, I'd read the rest of it, because then the, the, the disciples are like, we, we don't get it. What is there? There's soil, and then there's a sea. Like, we don't get it. Like, oh, my. And again, like, Jesus is like, this is a pretty simple picture. If I, I he's like He's like, I'm the sower. The seed is the, the gospel. It's the, the power of the gospel. It's the, it's the power of scripture. I throw it out and it lands on cement, hard soil. There's four soils. I have them right here for you. There's four soils. It lands on uh, hard soil. There's cement there. So, so even as I'm preaching today, in this crowd, the reality is, and maybe if you're listening online, some people, you have what I call hard soil. You're pessimistic. Maybe you're, you're, you're suspicious of everything that the Bible says. And so like, even for you to hear something, you just, you're always ready to get it out of here. Blah, blah, blah. I don't want to listen to it, you know? Maybe, I mean, even like hard soil, like we're selling shirts today, okay? Some people like that, are, like just are hard-hearted, They'll be like, you know what? The Bible says you're not allowed to sell stuff at church. Time out, let me do some pastoring real quick. Uh, the selling stuff in the Bible, they made it a den of thieves because they were selling sacrifices so they could actually make an offering to God. They were exploiting people. We are selling shirts and losing money on them, and if we make money, we give it away to an orphanage, okay? So, um, but it's amazing when somebody's hard-hearted, they're ready to look for something terrible wherever they're at. And so um, that would be like hard soil. Hard soil is like you hear the word, but it just never ever takes. Then the second type of soil he talks about is the shallow soil. It's thrown and it's like, it's received with joy, like, oh yeah, I want a better life. Thanks Jesus, yes please, I'll take a better life. But you see him as a shallow God that is there to be a genie and not your Lord. And so you never receive it for actually what it could be. It never gets deep in the roots to actually transform you. And the third soil is crowded soil. And crowded soil, I feel like, is this interesting one that it says the seed gets deep, but the problem with the seed getting deep is other things got deep around it that never should have got deep. Weeds got deep in that garden. Uh, Different worries got deep. The seeds got so deep, and they never should be that deep, but because somebody cared about them so much, they're in the same place that only the seed of God should be dwelling and so they start to squeeze out the seed of the kingdom because the, the preoccupied heart, the crowded heart, destroys the, 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 the seed of the gospel. And then there's soft soil, good soil. And where the seed comes in, oh, it just, it takes, it, it's one of those ones who you hear the word of God, you listen to it, you delight in it, you obey it, you start practicing it. Have you ever wondered why so many people suck at Christianity? Can I say that? Why are there so many bad Christians? We're going to talk about that today. Why is it that there's people in the house that have been following the Lord for 20 years and they're still unkind as all get out? How is it that somebody's known Jesus for 30 years and they're still the most ungenerous person you ever met? How is it somebody's known Jesus for 15 years and they're still the biggest gossip? How is it that somebody's known Jesus for 25 years and they don't know how to forgive yet? I, I think the reality is is that they maybe haven't taken a look at their soil and they know the verses. And they got them there, but they're on the shallow part and they've never produced anything. Can I tell you something real quick? Wheats happen on accident. Fruit takes intentionality. Yeah. It takes a grit. It takes labor. Did you know that the, the picture that Jesus is showing even, like what kind of farmer throws seeds on cement? That's not good farming. Those seeds are precious. Yeah. Like, 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 could you imagine a farmer like, like right now, just throwing it on the, on the stage. <laughs> <laughs> like, why are you doing that? Or outside, just chucking it on the road, chucking it on the side. Like, what are you doing? And the reality is there's a handful of th- things I could show you uh, in this picture. But if you knew something about um, the time uh, in Israel is they would do that. They would just chuck seed out and they would get their plow, a.k.a. it was actually a, 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 just a stick, and they would plow after they threw the seed. Of course, as things developed and people became better at farming, they plowed first and then put the seed and covered it. But back then they would throw the seed and then plow the seed in. And so even hard hearts, what I love is hard hearts still have hope. Hard hearts can still produce things. There's this famous story uh, I've maybe even told because I love it so much that there is this cemetery in Europe with a bunch of you know, royalty that had passed away. And they put these big marble slads, slabs, but this one acorn seed fell in between the marble slab and literally got right in the crack of that hard marble. And over years, it produced this massive oak tree and split the marble in half. That's to be able to come from everywhere just to look at this marble thing split in half. Can I tell you real quick, I don't care how thick your marble is and how hard hearted you are, the gospel can get in there and still break in and make you soft again, okay? I want you to know that. Um, what I love too about the picture of the seed of the kingdom, Jesus said the kingdom came as a seed, not as a hammer, not as a flamethrower, not as a gun. It came as a seed. There's something, there's something not intimidating about a seed, but a seed is powerful. Became it came as a hammer, you'd just be hitting people over the head with scripture. But the seed is something that you just plant and you let it do work. And there's something about even, a, a, you think about a hammer. A hammer just, you got to go hit around a little bit. You get one tree with acorns, that whole tree could populate the whole earth. Think about Acts, what the 12 disciples ended up being. They were the first tree that planted seed and literally populated the whole earth. Come on now. So the seed is powerful. So my question is this, is, is what, what, what's your soil? And now I've had to ask myself that question because when I was in a funk, what I realized is that my soil was not good soil uh, for uh, not only a few weeks, but for months. And that was a hard thing to be honest with yourself, but I found my soil to be preoccupied. I was the crowded soil. I would read the Bible, and I would pray, and then if you asked me at 3 p.m. what I read that morning, I couldn't tell you what I remembered. It was just it was gone. And never in my life had experienced that. I was, I, was, I was going through the motions that I always knew, but for some reason I had lost something about maybe the, the worries of, I'm building the, the, the transition of churches, so many things that were just in my soul. I didn't have any, like, to be honest, I didn't have, like, some grievous sin I was, like, living in because that's somewhere you can go, like, what well, is it this? And the reality is I just had so many things I cared so deeply about that had crowded my heart so when I would read the Bible, the Bible had no more room to do work. So I, I had to go on in my own journey. How do I get my soul uncrowded, my, my soil better, And it's this term that we hear in the Bible a lot that I think a lot of Christians don't practice enough. And this is why I think we have so many Christians that are stuck in some place. Stuck in unforgiveness, stuck in selfishness, stuck in some rut. I think one of the biggest reasons is I don't think a lot of Christians understand how to meditate on scripture. And now this is my second part. Okay, so first part is how's your soil? We do that. Maybe you're the hard soil, maybe you're the shallow soil, maybe you're the ground soil, maybe you're the good soil. I don't know, that's for you to process. I think you should go on that journey, start praying. But the second question I have As simply as this is, um, where have you been planted this season, this past season? And the reality is, is there's a lot of things I could say about um, why people fall. And even before I move on to this, I got to share this real quick. Uh, When I um, started processing and studying even why other pastors fell, even with the seed of the kingdom, there was a pastor in Colorado, a church of like 10,000. He had a huge moral failure. He was doing drugs, sleeping around. He was one of the faces of the evangelical movement. And it like shocked me. And they finally interviewed him and said, "How how did this happen to you? How did you fall like this? And he said, I would go on Sunday and I would take the word of God and I would read it and I would take the seed of the kingdom and I would throw it out every Sunday. But all week I would never, ever throw it in here. And he goes, so I did that for years. And I would, cause he's like, how did your church experience so many salvations? Cause when the seeds being thrown, say goodnight, the kingdom is powerful. But the reality is he was neglecting to throw the seed in the right place and have it actually do what it's supposed to do. And so as he only threw seed out and never threw seed in, he became a man who literally just kept drifting and drifting and did not keep a close watch and pay careful attention, the most careful attention, and literally became somebody who was sleeping around and doing drugs and lost everything. So you gotta toss the soil here and toss the seeds here, and that's reading the word, of course. But then how do you make sure the seeds like go down and get like watered and take care of Because God's the water, of course. But how do you make sure the seeds are, are going to actually do what they're supposed to do? And so the Bible talks about, you know, you work things in, you, you practice Christianity. The Bible, a term would be called spiritual disciplines. But I want to talk about meditation real quick. And planted is an interesting time because planted actually is meditation. Where you're planted mentally and emotionally is more what you meditate on and delight in. I want to read you one of the most famous psalms in all the Bible. In Psalm 1, it says this, Blessed is the one who does not walk in the step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but those who delight in the law of the Lord and who meditate on uh, his law day and night. This person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields uh, its fruit in season and whose leaves do not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked they are like a chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor the sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous by the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Stop. I think a lot of us, um, if we could ask this question, do you think that we're happier today than we were a thousand years ago? Like the people a thousand years ago that had no technology, no medical advancements, do you think we're happier with all of our cars, technology, when we read their journals, we could actually make a case that we don't see complaining in their journals, narcissism in their journals. We don't see those things in their journals a thousand years ago. The, the statistics would almost for sure say that our era is the most miserable era ever. Why is that? Blessed is the one that chases after blessedness. Do you ever see that in the Bible? No, the word blessed means living Makarios to be happy, joy. Everybody in this room, you wanna be joyful, you wanna be fulfilled. You want substance to your life. You want it, You want your life to have something of weight in it, and you want to feel thankful and good. And the reality is, is when you chase blessedness, you get nothing. But blessed are those who delight in the law of the Lord, and they'll get both. Blessed are those who hunger for the Lord, and they'll get both. Blessed are those who mourn over sin, and they'll get both. But blessed are those who chase after blessedness? You'll never see that in the Bible. And the reality is, our culture chases after blessedness. And you don't you don't get, you get nothing when you chase after blessedness. And so my, my hope as I unpack Psalm one, you need to know something about Psalm one, it's fascinating. Eugene Peterson says this, it is the key to prayer. It will unlock it because it is teaching us that prayer does not actually take its full effect until you understand how to meditate on scripture. So the Thomas says: breathe in and breathe out. Reason why it's titled that is when you read scripture, you're supposed to first read scripture Then meditation, let's use a very simple word to get rid of the mystifying word of meditation. You read scripture, the second thing you should do is process scripture. What does that mean for my life? You're supposed to process it first. Chew on it, that's meditating. Okay, I just read a truth, now I need to process it. The third thing you need to do is then you pray that scripture. Oh Lord, may that be true in my life. I'm gonna show you something I've been reading, processing, praying. And then the fourth thing you're supposed to do as a believer, you're supposed to practice that scripture. So I think one of the reasons why so many believers in the house are stuck in unforgiveness and selfishness and never have moved on is they read scripture a little bit and that's about it. They read scripture and pray it, but they never really let it go down deep. So it gets thrown out because I was reading and praying, but I was missing out. I was crowded. And the reality is, is when you read scripture and then you process it and you meditate on it, and not only I say you delight in it. It says that you're going to be blessed. It's going to create stability in your life. All of us are going to go through seasons. Yes. Everybody here is going to go through seasons. The the tree goes through seasons. You know that it compares the person who doesn't delight in the law, not by like little tree, big tree. That's not Christianity. It says tree and a chaff. A tree is something that is planted by a river bank, so it's going to always have water. And when the seasons are harder, what does that tree have to do? Its roots have to go even deeper to get more water. So when you're going through a tough season, it doesn't mean life's going to get easier. You learn actually how to get your roots even deeper into the water. It develops a different type of Christian, a, different, a stronger Christian. A chaff is somebody that the picture is saying that, that people who don't plant themselves in the law of the Lord, you just get blown about every single week. New news article about politics, new Dow Jones report, new whatever report in the medical thing with another you know, sickness or you know, a COVID report, you just get blown about with fear because a chaff has no roots and it gets blown about whatever is going on in the world. But those who delight in the Lord, and they just produce something different in their life. And so if I could um, show you one thing that is, that I think, yeah, we got a couple things. I'm going to give these away today. This is really exciting. This is going to be investment. These are $8 a pop, and we're giving them away for free today because I think that you learning how to actually read the word, process the word, pray the word, and practice the word is that important for our church. I have a couple of big asks as a pastor today, too, as we go on. So Psalm 1 is this picture of the importance of meditation and processing scripture. Now, it's interesting when Jesus teaches in the Sermon on the Mount, and the Sermon on the is the most famous sermon ever. He goes, hey, you've heard do not murder. That's the scripture. He's like, let's process it now. Now he's gonna process it. He wants to get that seed deep in their heart. He goes, let's process it. What does it mean not to do not murder? It means that if you even hate somebody or you say something with an hatred word like raka, if you literally have resentment in your heart, that is murder. So he, he takes them from... The scripture gets that seed, gets the understanding of what murder really is and gets it deep in the heart and says, now you know that what it is, you're gonna have to pray differently about what murder is in your life. May I never hate somebody, Lord. May I never have that spirit in me. Oh, you've heard of adultery. Don't sleep with somebody. You know what adultery is? It's looking at like somebody with lust. Oh my gosh. The Sermon on the Mount makes us all basically realize we're all dipped, okay? You read the the 10 commandments, the first one, you're like, I'm doing pretty good. I never murder nobody. I never committed adultery. I'm 10 for 10, you know? And then Sermon on the Mount comes, and Jesus is like, time out. You've had anger in your heart. You've murdered. You've lusted before. You've committed adultery. The Sermon on the Mount does not point to how great you are. It points to how much you need Jesus. So the more you, you read the word and process the word, it just keeps on bringing you back to a dependency to Jesus, and that's a good thing. And the one who is the guardian and the overseer of your soul. So um, as I've been journeying, I've been trying to read scripture, and I've been trying to really process it, and I came across this one that has just been, oh, just piercing me. And I want to show you how powerful this can be. Martin Luther, When he would read the word, uh, these are the things that he would do to make sure that he really grabbed it. He had three questions he would ask when he read it. First thing he would ask is, how does this truth lead me to praise God? So he would would read scripture and he'd say, how does this truth actually lead me to praise you? Like today's Father's Day. We read in the Bible that God's Father, how would this truth lead me to praise my God? And the second question he he would ask after he got done reading is, what sins do I need to confess because of this truth? And so with that truth of God's Father, it could be, I'm sorry, I've made you a boss. And me, an employer. I almost feel like I, I I obey you to get a paycheck from you. I don't obey you because I love you. Oh, would you forgive me, God? Like this is what this is what this is what happens when you start to really read and process scripture. Third one: is, What do I need to ask God for in light of this truth? Oh Lord, would you help me see me the way you see me? Could you show me more just of how good of a father you are, Lord? I I had I had a I had an angry dad, so that's hard for me to. Can you help me, Jesus? So that's, that, that's, how he would do, that's how he would read and process scripture. It makes it come to life a little bit more. Can we agree with that? Yeah. Yeah. So um, I uh, was reading uh, in Timothy this past week, and I want to show you what can happen when you read and process the word and then pray the word and then start practicing the word, what can do. This is something that just pierced my heart. And I think this is one of the things I think is going to uh, help save my own life and maybe save your own life too. First Timothy one says this: the purpose of my instruction is that all believers will be filled with love that comes from a pure heart, a clear conscience, and a genuine faith. Everybody say clear conscience. Clear conscience. It's interesting when you see one word and then it jumps out through the rest of the Bible. Do you know how important it is that God, has, uh, God God wants you to have a clear conscience? He wants your conscience to be clear and to be soft and to be sensitive. It goes and say, but some people have missed this whole point. They have turned away from these things and spend their time in meaningless discussions. Let's double down on this. Let's keep going. The charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, uh, that by them that you may wage good warfare. Good warfare. That shows me right there that there is also bad warfare. A.K. people are fighting the wrong battles. They're fighting the wrong things. They're spending their virtue on the wrong stuff. He's saying, "I'm, I'm teaching this so you'd actually fight the right things. He goes on to say, having faith and a good conscience again. Why does he keep on to talking about good conscience? He goes, because here's what ha- what's happened, which some have rejected concerning the faith, and they have suffered shipwreckness because of it. They didn't have cars back then. I think he might have used cars. They had ships, though. And he's saying those who lost their conscience shipwrecked their life, Timothy. It's me, Paul. I've ran the race, this is my last letter. I'm about to die. You are now a senior pastor of the biggest church in the world, Ephesus. I've seen people shipwrecked over and over again, and one of the biggest reasons why I saw them shipwrecked is they lost their conscience. It was not clear anymore, it was not washed anymore in the blood of Jesus. Their conscience was lost and they were shipwrecked. And what I love is, Paul names names. He goes on to say, let me tell you some of them. Of whom were Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I've delivered to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Man, I don't want my my name in the Bible for that reason. So I started asking myself this question. Um, How does somebody who preaches the word of God, I mean, this just happened recently, but there's a handful of stories, preach the word of God, and then throughout the week, go somewhere and do something super immoral and come preach the word again. How does somebody worship God with their hands lifted and then get in the car and start gossiping about somebody right away? How does somebody praise God and preach the word of God and go do drugs and sleep? How does that happen? I'll show you. It says in 1 Timothy 4, it says this. It talks about these people who are idolaters, following the teaching of demons. They, they, they live hypocrisy. And here's what it says why this happened. You ready for this? this? This scripture just yelled at me this past season. Speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. So the scripture shows that when your conscience gets seared with a hot iron, you no longer feel mourning or repentance or, or even sorrow over things that grieve God's heart. Blessed are those who mourn, that haven't seared their conscience, for they shall be comforted. That mourn is they mourn over sin. Anything that hurts people and hurts God's people, we should weep over. And so I read these truths. I've been processing, chewing on. So after I read it, I started going this, what does that mean for my, like? Lord, have I I seared anything with an iron, with my conscience? And so in my prayer time, I literally take my hand and put it over my head and I say, Lord, wherever I have seared something, would you reconnect it? Would you make me sensitive again? Would you make my heart weep for broken people the way that I remember when I was 18 and every person I walked by that was hurting, I just wanted to get, I would give people rides home that were like hitchhikers, I was one of those kids. Lord, make me caring, but not that caring, because that's dangerous. (laughs) Cause some things you just can't do. Okay. That's just, but, but the reality is, is, is I, I, I want my, my conscience connected to the King. Yeah. And the only way that happens is that when you read a truth and you chew on it and process it and meditate and you delight in it, oh, it's going to be the greatest gift to your life. And so as, as we leave here today, I'm going to ask, I have two big asks as your pastor, I'm going to ask you to read your Bible more this season. Yeah. Let the seed of the kingdom make this thing great again and transform because you, you can't transform your soul. The Bible shows that he takes our hard hearts and gives us soft hearts and new hearts. Can we say an amen for that? Yes. But the reality is the gospel works when we work with it. Yes. That's how the gospel works. And so I'm gonna ask you to read your Bible more and I'm gonna ask you to pray more this season. And I wanna see what happens to our church. I wanna see what happens to the evangelism in our church. How people start inviting people more because their, their, their empathy and their conscience is more connected and they have a different kind of, I wanna see what, what happens to gossip in our church. I want to see what happens with holiness in our church as we start to read and pray more. I'm going I to invite the um, keys to come up, and we'll, we'll be out of here. Galatians 2.14 is this fascinating um, uh, part of the Bible. Uh, Peter, this is Peter. Peter, I'm going to build my church on Peter. Simon Peter. Peter is now pastoring a church, and the public opinion of people has impacted his soul, and he has grown numb. Part of his conscience has grown numb to something. And so he has now created a church that is racist. Racist towards Gentiles. The Jews eat with the Jews, and the Gentiles eat with the Gentiles. And the reality is, is that racism has been around since the beginning of time because culture and opinion is going to always create groups of people that hate one or the other, because when you idolize something, you demonize something else, right? So they started idolizing the Jewish law again. This is Peter. Peter's saw Jesus' die on a cross, Peter. Peter who got redeemed, Peter is now saying, if you eat bacon, you sit over there. We don't eat bacon. Nasty Gentiles. Paul says he comes to this church, and he sees Peter, and he does not say, the Bible says it's wrong to be racist. Here's two rules. Start doing them again. That's not what Paul says to him. Paul says to him this, and I want you to catch how how you fix a broken soul, a broken church, a broken family, He basically tells him, I'll read to you, he says, Peter, the gospel needs to get deeper in your soul. Peter, the, the gospel for some reason, the seed of the gospel of grace and mercy, law didn't save us, Jesus saved us, forgave us, and he just literally re- repeats the gospel. I wish I could read you all. Go home and read all of Galatians 2, 14. But here's what he says. When I saw that they were not following the truth of the gospel message, I said to Peter in front of all the others, since you, a Jew by birth, have discarded the Jewish laws and are living like a Gentile, why are you not trying to make these Gentiles follow the Jewish traditions? And if he goes on, I, I wish I could read the rest of it. He goes, he goes, he goes on to say, he goes, we were, we were following the law and We failed. And it's not by the law we were saved, but it was by his death and the cross and the resurrection. And he just starts talking about the gospel. And he tells Peter, Peter, the gospel needs to go deeper again. And of course, guess what happens? The gospel goes deeper. And Peter, of course, uh, is, you know, repentant and reconciled. And the church of Galatia, of course, uh, you know, gets redeemed. And if I could just tell you why I was in a funk, is the gospel needed to get deeper in my life. And if you could just allow yourself to grab a life turn on the way out, you know, Martin Luther had those three questions, you know, uh, make scripture come alive. The Life Journal has this thing called SOAP. Scripture, what you read that really spoke to you that day. Observation, that's you processing it. What does that mean? You, you, the observation, application, means how am I gonna apply it to my life? How am I gonna actually practice what I actually live? So you're gonna read the word, process the word, pray the word, and you're gonna live the word. And then there's a prayer. God, would you actually give me the power to do what I just actually am planning to do? So that's what SOAP is, it's, it's a great mechanism. Uh, do not grab five for your friends. These are eight bucks a pop, okay? We only bought 500, you know, I forget, but enough for our church, uh, for the adults. Um, so grab one and uh, start reading. There's a Bible read plan in there even. You can grab one of our 40-day journals if you wanna do the 40-day one. But I'm believing, and this is what I, I met with our staff on our staff retreat, and my only asked to our staff, I told them this, I said, will you read your Bible more with me this season? Would you pray more than usual this next season? And let's see what happens over the summer and as we come back in the fall, what kind of team we'd look like because we read more, we meditated more. We prayed more. Ooh, what could our life look like? Happiness is not a destination, Psalm 1 shows us. Happiness is actually a, pl- a place of being. It's a type of heart. It's a type of soul. And the world wants it, and we actually have the key to it someone. Psalm 1. Will you bow your heads? I don't know if it's your first time or second time in church. Um, came to a pastoral Sunday on this Father's Day. Um, but if you want to say yes to Jesus, yes to heaven, no to hell yes to blessing, no curse. Want to curse. You wanna say yes to salvation. The Bible is very clear that if you confess with your heart and believe in your mouth, you'll be saved. And the way that we respond here is we ask you to raise your hand if you wanna say yes to Jesus. Maybe you have walking away from the Lord and you literally feel like you have no relationship and you wanna recommit your life today, if that's even you. With your head bowed and eye closed, on the count of three, if you wanna say yes to Jesus, I want you to raise your hand and catch my eye. One, two, three, raise it up, raise it up. I wanna pray for you if you wanna say yes to salvation today. Come on, it's a great decision. It's a great decision. God bless you. Come on. we guys stand up. We're going to pray. Um, the journals are out there by the mugs, so I guess you can have a journal and a mug. I didn't use my inhaler illustration. It was just going to be an okay one anyways. Um, maybe next service. I might take a couple puffs. We'll see what happens. Um, let's pray. Jesus, come into my life today, I confess. I'm a sinner in need of a savior. So today, I declare, you are my Lord, you are my Father, and I am your kid. Jesus, we love you. Use me this week. And everybody said, hey, go change the world, Mission Church. See you next Sunday. Thanks again for listening to the Mission Church podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe so you can keep up on our weekly sermons.